it was the last day of school before Christmas vacation, and the teachers had asked me to come over to the church school and have worship with the kids that morning. And I was not planning to have a uh, real solemn worship because they weren't going to be doing a lot of uh, studying that day. They were going to have a party, and they were going to have ice cream and cake and whatever they do just before Christmas. But I gave the worship and I talked about Jesus and what he had done and about him being a baby and how that he was God. And when I finished the worship service, I was just bowing my head for prayer, and that little voice in my head said, uh, make a call. And I thought, I didn't prepare to make a call. This is just a, a party day. But a little voice in my head said, well, make a call. So very quietly I said, but they all heard me, any of you who would like to accept Jesus as your Savior, I want you to write your name on a piece of paper and bring it up here to me. And one little girl did, eight-year-old Katie. And uh, she wrote her name on a piece of paper, brought it up, handed it to me, and I put it in my pocket, and I thanked her. And then we went on about her day, and she had a good day. They had her party. She had an older brother, and he was being nice to her that day. And and uh, she sat on his lap as they watched a Walt Disney movie. And then they, school was out, and they went home for Christmas break, and all the kids were happy. And about an hour after she got home, her mom said, I'm going to go into town and pick up Dad from work. Do you want to ride along? Katie did. And on the way to work, they were hit broadside by a pickup, and little Katie was killed. And uh, I went up to the hospital as they were... The doctors were telling them, there's no use keeping her on respiration. There's nothing we can do. And it was hard. And then I remembered that little piece of paper in my pocket. And I pulled it out and I handed it to Katie's mom. And I said, uh, God prompted me to make a call this morning. And I did. And I said, anybody who wants to accept Jesus as their Savior... I want you to write your name on a piece of paper. I says, Katie did, and here's the paper. And we unfolded it, and sure enough, there was Katie's name written in Katie's handwriting. In the resurrection, Satan is going to argue over every person that is resurrected. How many know that? He's going to argue. And when it comes to Katie's names, Jesus is going to say, Well, Pastor Stauffer asked if she wanted to accept me, and she did. So get out of my face. I'm saving Katie. Amen? On Friday, the day of the crucifixion, was the gloomiest, saddest days that the disciples had ever been. And even though Jesus had very plainly told them what was going to happen, when it happened, it was as if Jesus had never said anything. How many know that that's true? Jesus might as well have not said a thing because they were absolutely crushed. And then all during the Sabbath, when they were resting, as the Bible says, according to the commandment, they were depressed. And they were afraid they're coming after us. And I read the story of the last chapter of the Gospel of John about the two men who were walking down the road to Emmaus, and Jesus joined them. And he said to them, Why are you so sad? And they said, Are you a stranger in these parts? Haven't you heard? He said, Heard what? And so the two disciples told Jesus all about himself and, and how that they thought that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel, and, and now he is dead, and it's been three days. 
And I want you to notice the next part of that story there in the, in the Gospel of John. They came to the town of Emmaus where these disciples lived. And it says Jesus acted like he was going to go on. But they had been listening to what he said, and they said, please, please stay with us. In fact, the, the word there in the, in the, in the Bible says they urged him. It's almost like compelling him. They forced him to stay because they wanted to hear more of what he had to say. And he came in, and they sat down to supper, and Jesus raised his hands to bless the food, and all of a sudden they recognized, we know who you are. He was Jesus. And in our class discussion this morning, we were talking about witnessing. Well, those fellows had something to witness, and, and you didn't do a lot of traveling tonight, but Jesus disappeared then out of their sight, and they got up from the table. They didn't even eat their supper, and they went running the two miles all the way back to Jerusalem, up to the upper room where the other disciples were, and says, he's alive. We have seen him. He's alive. There's a song that I had the kids and Joshua sing. I don't know how many know it, but I'm not going to sing it. It's got 12 verses in it. It's a long song, but it's written from the point of view of Peter. You may have heard it. Because it says the gates and doors were barred and all the windows fastened down. And it was talking about the fear. And he says in the middle of the night, I heard a, or early in the morning, he heard a, a, uh, a voice. And the gate began to rattle. And a voice began to call. And I hurried to the window and looked down into the streets, expecting swords and torches and the sound of soldiers' feet. But no one was there but Mary. So I went down to let her in. John stood there beside me as she told us where she'd been. She said, they've moved him in the night, and no one knows where. But the stone's been rolled away, and his body isn't there. And it says, we both ran to, toward the, the tomb, the garden. John ran on ahead, and when we got there, we looked inside, and it was just as Mary said. They didn't see anybody. And then it was talking about later that day in the upper room, and... Uh, Peter was feeling so terrible because he had cursed and swore and denied that he knew Jesus. And he says, all of a sudden, Jesus was there. And he says, I fell down at his feet. And then he raised me to my feet, and I looked into his eyes, and love was shining out of them like sunlight from the skies. Guilt and my confusion disappeared in sweet relief, and I just fell down on my knees, and I cried with relief. And then the song says, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive, and I'm forgiven. Heaven's gates are open wide. He's alive, he's alive. My sins are all forgiven. Heaven's gates are open wide. And the only hope that I could give to that little girl's mother that day is that because of Jesus' resurrection, like we sang in the opening song, you can have confidence that your little Katie's going to be resurrected too. This weekend, this last week, for all of us, has been a very sad time. But I believe in John chapter 11, verse 35, that Jesus weeps with those who weep. Amen? Jesus knows what it feels like. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3. And what Hebrews chapter 3 is, is Peter, I'm sorry, Paul preaching a sermon. And for his text in the sermon, he is referring to the children of Israel on their journey from Egypt to the promised land. And as you read through Hebrews chapter 3, 
you discover, you look in verse 10, it says, Wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. Then verse 12, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief departing from the living God. And then when you get down to verse 18 and 19, notice it says, And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but them that believed not. So we see that they could not enter in because of what? Their unbelief. And I looked at that word unbelief and I asked myself, what was it that the children of Israel did not believe? They believed in the existence of God and they had seen his power. But I want you to examine the story because when Moses arrived there, at first they thought, this is wonderful, the deliverer is here. And then Moses went before Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, I won't let your people go and I'm going to increase their burdens. And the people were ready to stone the man that God had sent because he says, you didn't make things better, you made things worse. And I have met people, can't understand it, when they give their heart to Jesus rather than life getting better, it gets worse. How many have ever noticed that? But God wants you to know he's going to give you strength even if it gets worse anyway. To make the long story short, you all know that story anyway. Finally, God had to send the death angel. And then Pharaoh finally let the children of Israel go. And when they were released from bondage, how did they feel? It's finally happened after 400 years. We are no longer slaves. We are free. Amen. How many think they marched out? of the borders of Egypt, and they were a pretty excited bunch of people. Amen? We are free. And a few days later, they came down to the shores of the Red Sea, and then they saw the armies of the Egyptians coming behind them, and the joy that they had felt just a couple of days before was all gone. And they thought, this was a dumb way to come. We can't go forward because of the ocean. We can't go on either side because of the cliffs. And if we go back, the Egyptians, we are trapped. And they were ready to stone Moses again. How many know that that's true? And Moses fell down on his knees and he said, Lord, I know that you are with us. And God says, hold out your rod. And a wind blew and the water opened and the children of Israel went across the Red Sea on dry land. Amen? How... Do you have any idea how they felt when they saw the wind blow and the waves part and all of a sudden they could walk through there? I like Uncle Arthur's Bible stories. It shows a couple of boys throwing rocks not down into the water but straight into the water. How many could see them doing that? And everybody was pretty excited. And then the Egyptians started coming and then they were not excited. But they got up on the other side and Moses stretched out his rod again and their enemies were all delivered. Then how did the children of Israel feel? How many think they believed then? Well, they believed for a while. And the Bible says a few days later they ran out of water. And when they ran out of water, they didn't believe anymore. And they says, what a dumb way to come. If you brought us out into this wilderness and they accused Moses and they accused God, if you brought us out here so that we all die of thirst, we were better off when we were slaves back in Egypt. And they came to a place that God led them to of water. And I'm sure the first few people that were down there put their face in the water. And they came up and they blew it out. And they says, this water is terrible. And everybody didn't believe anymore. Are you with me? They didn't believe. And God told Moses what to do. And uh, he cut down a tree and dropped it in the water. And I'm guessing the first one to go down there to get a drink was really cautious. He put it, probably put his finger in and then tasted it. And says, oh, it's good. Then everybody started drinking. And it seemed like when things were good, they believed, and when things were not good, they didn't believe. Amen? 
And a few days later, after they drank the water and they were all excited, they ran out of food. And they said, we were better off when we were slaves back in Egypt. At least we had something to eat. And so God sent them the manna. And then after a while, they got tired of the manna and says, why can't we have something else to eat? And God was the cook for crying out loud. How many, when you read that story that I am telling you, think, how in the world could they be such unbelievers? And then the Bible says they finally arrived at the borders of the promised land. And God led them there. But they said, well, we better check this out. And so there were 12 tribes, and each elected one man. And they sent the 12 spies into the land of Canaan. And when they came out, their first report was, what a wonderful place. Look at the grapes we brought back. They're as big as plums. But 10 of the 12 spies said, you ought to see the people that live there. We felt like we were grasshoppers and eyes. They are so big, and you ought to see the cities they live in. They're huge fortresses. And all the people begin to weep and to cry except Caleb and Joshua. And Caleb and Joshua says, but God is with us. Let's go up. We are well able. But the majority of the people believed the majority report, and they said, we cannot do this. And so the Bible says that they went back out in the wilderness for 40 years and wandered for 40 years. And it says in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 19, so we see they could not enter in because of what? Their unbelief. Now ask yourself the question, what was it that they didn't believe? What was it they didn't believe? They didn't believe that they were going to make it to the promised land. Are you with me? Can you see that? That's what they didn't believe. And God tried to show them in everything way that he could that they were going to make it. They didn't believe. And it says they could not enter in because of their unbelief. Now, I just a little bit ago told you the story of Katie. My years as a pastor, I've gone through a lot of sad times. I remember a classmate of mine in college. Uh, we felt kind of close because we were both kind of shy in college and both taking the theology course and both a little bit worried about our shyness. Uh, but he was the best preacher in our homiletics class. And I remember very well what happened because I heard about it later. But it was his senior year, my senior year. And uh, he was just getting ready to go home for senior break. And he proposed to his girlfriend. And uh, as Adventist young men but did back in those days, he gave her a watch. And then he got in his car and he drove home and he never got home. He fell asleep at the wheel and went off the road and he was killed. How many believe that's sad? That was a very sad thing. But it's not as sad as it could be because of the fact that his name is Curtis Poor. Curtis knew Jesus. And the next thing that Curtis is going to know and the next thing that Katie is going to know, it's resurrection morning time to go to heaven. I remember one day I was at prayer meeting at the far church in my district, and I was on my way home, and it was after 9, it was getting close to 10. And when I was still about 15 miles away from home, I went past a dirt road, and I knew that I had a church member that lived two or three miles back down that dirt road. And as I went by, a little voice in my head, so go see them. Well, I was tired, and I wanted to go home, and it was quarter of 10. I didn't want to go by. How many want the pastor coming by at a quarter of 10? You know? And so I went on by. 
And the little voice says, I really want you to go visit them. And I didn't want to, and I went on by. I was, anybody here ever own a Volkswagen minivan? Anybody? You don't want to hit anything with one of those, do you? Because there's just nothing there. The engine's in the back, and all that's between you and whatever's going to hit you is the windshield and, and uh, I don't know, an eighth or sixteenth inch of tin. And as I went on by, I started down a hill, and uh, coming in the other lane, it was just a two-lane road, was a semi. And as we passed, I thought, what would have happened to me if that semi had had a blowout just before he got to me on his left front tire and pulled him into my, my lane? I'd have, I'd have been killed, right? And I just thought about that. And then I said to myself, if, I had just, if he, that had happened and I had died, what's the next thing that you would know? Now, I was feeling a little guilty that I hadn't obeyed God. But I know that we are saved not by our good works. We're saved by what? Mercy. And I thought, if that truck had had a blowout and pulled into my lane, the next thing I'd know was Jesus would be here. And his angel would take me by the hand, and I would say, I do not deserve to be saved. And he'd say, I know, but I'm going to save you anyway because you accepted Jesus as your Savior. I thought about that. And the next place where I could turn the car around, I turned the car around and went and visited those church members. It turned out they were hoping the pastor would come by that night. And you see, there are two different things that motivate us. The fear of being lost. And if you're lost, if you haven't accepted Jesus as your Savior, that's a healthy thing for you to experience. Amen? But how many of you want the pastor to come by your house and visit you And you've been wanting him to come. And he's coming because he's afraid if he doesn't, he's going to be lost. How would like the pastor to come by for that reason? Well, it's better than none at all. But if you had someone doing something for you, how many would like them to come by out of gratitude for what God has done for them? Not out of fear of what's God going to do if you don't do it. Amen? Now let's go back to uh, 2 Corinthians where we were. We were in chapter 4. And notice what it says when we go back to verse 8. We are troubled on every side. Now I'm going to skip some of the words and come back and get them. But I want you to look at the trouble in verse 8 and go down to the last phrase. We are perplexed. Verse 9, persecuted. Last of verse 9, cast down. And in the middle of verse 10, dying. Down in verse 11, Second line, delivered unto death. All of those are negatives, right? All negatives. But look what Paul says. We are troubled on every side. We're not distressed. We're perplexed. We're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not cast down. We are cast down, but we're not destroyed. We're always bearing about in the body of the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in us. How is it that a person goes through those things and no matter what the devil does, they are not discouraged. They're not cast down. Go down to verse 14. And it says, knowing that he which did what? He that raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise us up also by Jesus and shall present us with you. One of my favorite Bible characters is a man whose name is Job. And I know you've all heard of Job. 
And you know that there was an argument going on between God and Satan over Job. And Satan was boasting and says, I control everybody down there. And God says, you don't control my servant Job. And Satan muttered and he says, well, the reason I can't control him is because every, you just protect him. You won't let me really test him. And so God says, all right, I will let you test him. And you've read the Bible and you've heard the story before. Satan went and did everything that he possibly could do to that man. And the strange thing is, is Job thought that God was doing it. Because he says, the Lord giveth and the Lord does what? The Lord takes away. Was it the Lord taken away? And we need to understand it this weekend. Death was never God's idea. Trouble and and pain and sorrow, that was never part of God's plan. That's Satan doing that. But even though Job believed that God was doing it, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, then what did Job say? Blessed be the name of the Lord. How many would like to have seen Satan pull his hair out when he heard Job doing that? I just love that story. And then... You see in verse 2, Satan and God talking it over again. And God was saying to Satan, well, how did it go? And Satan muttered again. And he said, well, you wouldn't let me touch him. All right, said God. You can touch him, but you can't take his life. And so Satan went and caused him terrible sickness. And I want you to notice what Job said. He says, the worms destroy this body. In fact, before that, he said, even though he slay me. And he thought God was still doing it. Even though he slay me, I will still trust him. Though worms destroy this body, yet I know that in my what? In my flesh, I will see God. Job believed in the resurrection. And the thing that made Job such a good man was because he could say, in my flesh, I know I'm going to see God. He knew that he was going to be resurrected. Now, Job was not among the unbelievers in Hebrews chapter 3. Because no matter what he went through, he looked at that situation. He says, but I know that my God lives and I'm going to stand with him in the latter days. And when I'm talking to people, and you know the things that I say, especially when you leave the door, I'll either say, have a good eternity or God wants you in heaven. How many, is there anybody here who hasn't heard me say that yet? Well, if you haven't, I'll get you at the back door. And I will tell you that. God wants you in heaven. And Too many times when I'm talking that way or I say to someone, have a good eternity, they will say to me, well, I'm doing the best I can. And if I had time, I'd say, I want you to know something. Your best is never going to be good enough. Because you see, when you say you're doing the best you can, I hate to tell you this. I don't want to make you feel bad. But you are among the unbelievers. Does that make sense? You're among the unbelievers because you see what Jesus did. He had paid the whole price. And you see, Caleb and Joshua were the two men who said, we know that God can do what God said he can do. How many believe that? Let me show you another text. This is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 6. And I want you to look at this one, especially this week. Because what you find in John, chapter 6... It tells you what God's will is. In fact, the day that I had the funeral for this little girl that I told you about, Katie. Wish you could have known her. She was such a sweetheart. If she saw you walking down and you didn't have a smile on your face, she would say, you look like you need a hug, and then you would get one. 
and I went into a gas station after the funeral was all over, and everybody in town knew about what had happened. And the gas station guy says, why does God let those things happen? Or people say, well, must have been God's will. And I say, I'm going to tell you what God's will is. And I opened my Bible, and I showed him this text in John chapter 6. And look what it says in verse 38. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will, which hath sent me, that all which he has given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which sees the Son and believes on him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now do you know what God's will is? And if you're talking to someone who's discouraged and they're starting to blame God, you can turn to this text and say, I'm going to tell you what God's will is. It is God's will that you be saved. Amen? And you see, it was God's will that everyone who came out of Egypt and went through the the Red Sea, it was God's will that they all go into the promised land. How many believe that? And you see, I have discovered in my life the thing that gives me the most strength to do what God wants me to do is not the fear of being lost. It's the joy and gratitude that I can say this. I do not deserve to be saved. If I were to get what I deserve, I'd be crucified. Amen? But I know that if my life were to end today, and how many know that that's a possibility? I don't know how many of you uh, look at the news on the Internet, but there was a police cruiser with his video camera going, and it was an ice, snowy day, and there was a van in front of him, and apparently the guy in the van must have been texting on his phone or something, but he was behind a, uh, a truck, and he started to pull over to pass, it looked like he started to pull over past, but anyway, he went off on the shoulder, and he overcorrected, and he banged into the, the truck that was here. Anybody see that? It was horrific, because he hit the truck, and it spun him over onto the other lane, right in front of a big old semi, and, and the van just exploded. I mean, one minute he's texting on his phone, the next minute he's gone, right? And you see what God wants you to go around with the, within your mind. The thing that will give you strength and gratitude to do God's will is to be able to say, I've accepted Jesus as my Savior, and if my life should end today, if I get in an accident on my way home from church, the next thing I will know is Jesus will be here. And though I am unworthy, he will resurrect me and take me with him. Is that what makes Jesus' resurrection so important? If Jesus hadn't been resurrected, it says in 1 Corinthians 15, we would be most miserable. We would have no hope at all. But Jesus was resurrected. Amen? Amen. Anybody here have a laptop computer? Is there anybody who doesn't have a laptop computer? But you know what they are, don't you? And I don't know if you have what I have in mind, but there's a, you push a button and this little slide thing comes out, and you can take a disc. You can take a, a disc of a movie. And you can stick it in there and close it up. And even if it's not plugged in, you have a battery in there, and it'll, mine says it'll run for two hours. And you, can, and you can see, you can hear voices, you can see scenes, you can experience the motions that the people were trying to portray. How many know what I'm talking about? 
If human beings have figured out how to do that, and I meant to bring a little disc, but you know what they look like. I'll bet you Paul up there in the, uh, Dave, up there could hold up a disc. If you want to see one, but anyway, I don't have one in my hand. But I have disc at home that has a movie on it, and I can look at it, and I don't see anything. And I put it in my ear, and I don't hear anything. But if I stick it in my computer, and I push the buttons, and I turn the electricity on, all of a sudden there's, we know that they're not human beings, but you go through all the motions if they were, don't you? And you see, God, who has more intelligence and more power than we do, he cannot just reproduce a similarity so that it looks like them. He can actually reproduce this in whole. And he has us, everybody who's died, I believe that when the Bible says their spirit returns to God, I don't believe that they're conscious because the Bible says that when a man dies, his breath goes forth, and in that day his thoughts perish. And you know the famous text, Ecclesiastes 9, 5, the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything. And yet people who don't believe that will show you the text. It says that God will bring them with him and the spirit goes to God who gave it. I believe just like people can take a picture and, and, and sounds and all this stuff and they know how to put it on a disc and they can stick it in a drawer and that drawer might, it might be in that drawer for a hundred years and someone can bring it out and put it in the computer or put it in the disc player or something and it all comes back. If human beings can do that, why can't God store your DNA, your information is his mind and when he comes back, he puts it back with the body. Take the disc, you know, the computer is the body. If it's not plugged in or, or the battery's dead, it's dead, right? In fact, I have stuff that's right in my computer where there's people singing and I've stored it in there. I could, I could show you songs and I could show you sermons right in my computer. But you could take the computer apart. You'd never find them. It'd never be, you'd just see wires and I don't know what all you'd say. I don't know about them. But when you put the electricity to it, the power, and you push the right buttons... It all comes back. Amen? And what this preacher's burden is, as a preacher, is he wants everybody who hears his sermon to be able to say, I am not worthy to be saved. But when Jesus comes a second time, if I have died, now I don't know how many are going to be translated. Uh, There were a lot of people that I've known in my lifetime who thought they were and they're not. But I've got good news for those people. They went to sleep. And the very next thing they're going to know, it's resurrection morning time to go to heaven. And this is what gives the Christian strength. This is what gave the martyrs the strength to go through what they went through. And the people who, who took them to their death would write and say they acted like they were people who were going to their wedding. They were, weren't they? Because they realize I'm going to die. In 20 minutes, I'll be dead. In 20 minutes and one second, as far as I'm concerned, it'll be resurrection morning. I'll be with Jesus. Is that good news or bad news? And I'm convinced that the only thing that will give you and I the strength to be faithful to Jesus, no matter what comes, is to hold the hope of the resurrection in our mind. And like it says in Hebrews 3.19, we see they could not enter in. Why couldn't they enter in? Because they didn't believe that God could get them there. They were looking at their weakness. They were looking at the strength of the enemy. And if you concentrate on how weak you are and how strong the enemy is, you're going to get discouraged. 
But if you keep looking at how strong God is and what God has done, and you keep believing because Jesus was, was died for me and Jesus was resurrected, I'm going to be there too. Is that good news? And you see, that is what you do inside your head when Satan tempts you. Because what temptation is, is Satan starts to control your thoughts. And you've heard me talk about this before. I have a whole bunch of stuff from the writings of Ellen White that talk about how important it is that we control our thoughts. And Satan will use anything to get your thoughts off of Jesus. And this is where we use our willpower. We choose to think about the good news that Jesus Christ has done for us. I've told some of you about a young man whose name was Ernie. Did I tell that in prayer meeting or did I tell that here in church? Always worried about telling the same thing twice, but I guess it's better to tell it twice than not to tell it at all. But uh, this young man was in my church when I pastored out in Powell, Wyoming. And I didn't know this because I didn't know him then, but he was just an ordinary nasty kid. Sold drugs, stole. In fact, some of the store people told me that uh, when he would come in their store, they would send a clerk, they'd assign a clerk to follow him around, otherwise he would he'd rip them off. This happened to my wife last week. She went in to pick and save and came out, and there was a teenager out there, and he says, do you have change for a 20? And my wife is a sweet lady. She says, well, I have two tens. He says, yeah, that'll help. So she pulled him out and handed him to him, and he took him and ran. She never, he, she got ripped off. How many does that make you a little bit mad? Okay, Ernie was this kind of guy, all right? And he went away to uh, an Adventist academy. Uh, his grandmother sent him there. And how he's able to not get kicked out, I don't know. I guess he was afraid to go home because the police were after him. There was a guy when I was in the academy who the police gave him a choice, either go to the boarding academy or go to jail. And he thought, well, all right. So he went to the academy. And I'm guessing this is kind of what Ernie's attitude was. And uh, in December of that year, or January, anyway, they had a class at the church, and, and it was for 13 nights, one night a week. And the only reason that Ernie went is because the church was 15 miles away, and he got to ride in the bus in the dark with his girlfriend over to the church and, and back again when it was over. And he told me that's why he went, get to sit in the dark with his girlfriend. But he said they were talking about the gift of eternal life. And they spent the whole weeks showing how that sinners can come to Jesus and receive the gift of eternal life. And before that 13 weeks was over, Ernie had accepted Jesus as his Savior, and he knew that unworthy as he was, when Jesus comes, he's going to be one of the people that is saved and goes to heaven. Good news? Anyway, it was after this I became his pastor. And uh, I thought, what a great kid. I couldn't believe what... He, he had been when people told me about it. But I only got to know him for about a year because he came home from Christmas break his senior year. And uh, he was going to take me and teach me how to ski a few days after Christmas. And he was out with a friend of his dad. This friend would buy old buildings and clean the brick up and sell used brick. And Ernie was earning money so he could take the pastor skiing. And... Uh, while he was out there, he was inside this old building just to get out of the wind, and the thing collapsed and killed him. And uh, that was a very hard time. 
at the funeral, all the, his whole senior class came down from all over Montana to Mont- into Wyoming. And uh, it was the first time I had ever heard people sing Bible verses like that. And they sang Isaiah 51, verse 11. Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion, and everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. Does anybody here know that song? Raise your hand. I want to see if there's enough so I won't embarrass myself. One, come on. Anybody else know it? My wife knows it. Come on. Anybody else know that? Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion and everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion and everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and mourning shall flee away. Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion and everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. And while we were eating the meal after the funeral, these kids were singing that song. And they changed the words a little bit and they said, with our brother Ernie will come singing unto Zion and everlasting joy will be upon their heads. Jesus wants you to walk around singing that song and believing that because Jesus was raised, I will be raised. He doesn't want you to doubt it. He doesn't want you to say, I hope so. He wants you to say, because of what Jesus did and because of Jesus' resurrection, I will be there. Two weeks from today, I have the privilege of preaching to my senior class from 50 years ago. And the last song that we're going to sing is when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. That's not our closing song, though, is it? Well, let's sing the closing song, but I want you to be able to sing that song in your heart. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more, when the morning breaks eternal bright and fair, when the saints of earth are gathered over on the other shore and the roll is called up yonder, say it. Now, if you believe that and you rejoice in that, you'll discover that you have strength to overcome temptations and sins that you never thought you ever could overcome. Dear Jesus, what you did, you did for us. You died for us. You also were resurrected for us. Therefore, we can believe surely that if Jesus Christ is raised, all of those who are trusting him, though they die, they will live again. Help us not only to believe this, help us to rejoice in it. Help us to know that that is what gave those early disciples the enthusiasm and the boldness to go out and share. They did not care what happened to them as a result of what they said. They were just so filled with joy and wanted other people to experience the power of the resurrection of Jesus. Father, help us to think about what joy will be ours in heaven when people come up to us and say, thank you for sharing the blessed hope with me and giving us a big hug and say, I'm here for eternity because of what Jesus did and you shared it with me. Amen.